have your Bibles, will you please turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If you're wondering where the Gospel of Luke is, it is in your New Testament, second half of your Bible, third book in the New Testament. We're looking at Luke chapter 18 this morning. And so excited to have you guys here as we continue a brand new series here at Thrive. It is called Take Me Higher. Everyone say, Take Me Higher. And the reason why we call this series Take Me Haya is because this series is about seven struggles that we all go through. As long as you are living and breathing here on this earth, you can relate to these struggles that we're talking about in this series called Take Me Haya. These seven struggles are seven of the biggest struggles that we go through. They have this tendency to sap us of our strength. They have this tendency to steal our joy. They have this tendency to distract us from what's most important in life. If you're struggling with one of these struggles we're talking about, very likely you're going to find that this struggle in your life keeps you from being as happy, as effective, and as peaceful as you would like to be. And the fact is this, these struggles are not new. 1,500 years ago, the early Christian church identified these seven struggles as the seven deadly sins. What is sin? Sin is the tendency in each and every one of us to want to do things our way, not God's way. It's our tendency to want to think, act, and speak in ways that are contrary to God's original intent for our lives. In words, we might think that when we do things our way, that's going to what's going to make us happy. The fact is that when we engage in any one of these seven deadly sins, the result is not happiness, it's sadness in our lives. The result is not pleasure, it is pain in our lives. And in fact, if we don't learn to do something about these seven struggles that we're learning about in the series, they will wreak havoc on our lives and create pain in our relationships. And that's why we're calling this series, Take Me Haya. It's because we're not just going to understand these struggles, but we are wanting to take on, tackle, and learn to overcome each of these seven big struggles that we all go through. And so that's why we're talking about Take Me Higher. Turn your name and say, I'm looking forward to Take Me Higher. And so, you know, I believe this is if you stick with us over the next six, seven weeks as we look at this series called Take Me Higher, it's going to bring so much benefit to your life. You're going to find you'll have more joy, more peace, more hope, more wisdom to tackle some of the stuff that you're going through today. And you may even find that God used it in a powerful way to change your life. Last week, we talked about envy. That's the first struggle of the seven that we're looking at. And envy, what is it? Why is it so damaging? Why is it something that causes us so much pain? And what can you do about it? We talked about that last week. Were you guys here last week? Did you enjoy the message last week? By the way, one, one really quick thing is if you enjoy the messages here at Thrive Church, it would mean a lot to me and a lot to our team if you would go to our podcast and you would rate it and review it. It's not because we are desperate for your approval or anything like that, but it's because when you rate and review our podcast, it actually increases the exposure of that podcast so we can help more people both in our city and around the world. Amen? And so it's never been easier to live out loud and to lead other people to Jesus. All you do is go rate and review our podcast and what's going to happen is that it's going to increase the exposure so that more and more people can find out about the hope that is in Jesus Christ through the stuff that we do at Throughout Your Neighbor and say, let's live out loud. With that in mind, would you join me in just standing to our feet as we read Luke chapter 18, 9 to 14 together. If you have it in front of you, you can read it. If you don't, you can read it off the screen as well. Let's stand as we read the word of God this morning. Would you help me preach in this place tonight? It says, to some who are confident about their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Today, the message I'm here to share with you is entitled, My Problem with Pride. My problem with pride. Before you take your seats, with a smile on your face, would you turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, and say, I think I might have a problem. I think I might have a problem. Please have your seats. I think I might have a problem. Today we're talking about my problem with pride. It's the second big struggle that we all go through. What kind of pride are we talking about today? See, a lot of people, they misunderstand what pride is and what the Bible says about pride. See, I'll put it to you this way. There's basically two types of pride. When I say, I'm proud of you, church, when I say to my sons, I'm proud of you, that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. It means I'm not ashamed of you. It means I find joy when I think about you. I take delight in what you do. It's drawing attention away from myself and toward other people. It's recognizing the positive qualities you see in other people. When a person says, you know, I'm proud of my country, or I'm proud of my parents, or I'm proud of my church, that can be a very good thing. When this person says, you know, I take pride in my work, that can be a very good thing. It means that you take your work seriously. It means that you really try hard to give your best. That is a good kind of pride. But the Bible speaks on another kind of pride that is extremely destructive to our lives and to our relationships. That kind of pride is a bit harder to define, so let me give you a definition right now, and I hope you take some good notes this morning. Here is a definition for the kind of pride we're talking about this morning. Write this down. Pride is having an inflated view of myself such that I put myself above God and above others. That's what pride is. Pride, it starts on the inside where I think of myself in this overconfident, exaggerated, inflated kind of way, such that I look at myself, my importance, my qualities, my abilities, and I start to put myself above other people and even above God. Are you someone who struggles with pride? Here's one another thing about pride that we're learning is this, is pride often relies on comparisons with others. Last week we talked about envy, how envy is when we compare ourselves to other people and we start to get resentful when we see that other people have what we don't have. Like envy, pride is also based on comparisons. But pride works in the other way, in the opposite direction, is that I compare myself to others and I start to get really conceited and arrogant and stuck up because I think I'm superior to them. Do you struggle with pride? See, that's what we see in this passage in Luke chapter 18. Read verses 10 to 12 with me one more time. One, two, three, it says, Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. See what's going on here. Jesus, he's painting the picture of two men who go to the temple. They go to church to pray to the same God. But their approaches are completely different. Their attitudes are completely different. This one guy who's a Pharisee, he's part of the religious elite of Israel. He's praying to God, and when he's praying to God, he's basically just touting himself. He's talking about, look at all the great things I've done. Look at all the good things that I do. And see, tax collectors, they kind of prided themselves on how strictly they followed the Mosaic law, how religious they were. And see, on the outside, this Pharisee was doing all the right things. He's going to church to worship God. He's praying. He's expressing thanks. He's even fast as a spiritual discipline. He tithes and he gives to the church. But the problem is not what he was doing. It was how he was doing it. 
The problem was that his attitude was full of pride. And thus his prayer is really just him just giving himself a spiritual pat on the back. And see, one author, he writes about pride. He says, pride is arrogant self-worship. Pride is when I'm so occupied or preoccupied with myself that nothing matters to any to me more than me that all I really care about at the end is what I think what I feel what I want it's all about me that's what pride does and you you may for example you may come here on a Sunday and you're here to worship God and you sing songs like oh be my one obsession first and only in my life but then the rest of the week you might live as if you know that's not your obsession Jesus isn't your obsession it's something else maybe it's yourself And, and see pride is not a matter of circumstances. Pride is a problem of the heart. You know, we might think that pride affects the most powerful of us or the richest of us or the people who seem to have the most. But the fact is this, pride has less to do with your social status or your intelligence or your wealth or your age. The fact is you can be rich and prideful. You can be poor and prideful. You can be intelligent and prideful. You can be dumb and prideful. You can be old and prideful. You can be young and prideful. It's because pride has less to do with your circumstances and has everything to do with your heart. If you believe that, say amen. Do you struggle with pride? Here are a few clues. In fact, I'm going to give you today quite a few clues, 12 clues that you might struggle with pride. And you're like, wow, 12 clues? Last week with envy, we only talked about six. Let me tell you why where there's so many clues with pride. Pride has been often called the chief of sins. It's often called the original sin. In other words, from pride leads to, like, from pride, it results other sins that we might be talking about in this series. And so that's why there are a lot of clues that indicate that a person struggles with pride, because pride tends to be that root sin, that original sin that leads to other sins. Do you struggle with pride? Well, here are a few clues if you're not too sure, and I'm going to invite you to keep score on yourself today. Don't keep, 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 keep score about your wife, or your husband, or, or, your, or, or, or your neighbor. I want you to keep score on yourself and see how many of these apply to you. If anyone applies to you, give yourself a point. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Clue number one. If it bothers me when other people snub me or don't take notice of me. You, you walk by someone, you expect them to say hi. They don't say hi. Like, oh, is that you? That's clue number one. It bothers me when other people snub me or don't take notice of me. Number two, when arguing with others, I always need to win. I always need to show that I am right. You always have to have the last word in any argument to show that you're better than the other person. Is that you? If that's you, give yourself a point. Number three. I am quick to judge others and look down on them. In other words, you have this bent to be critical about other people. Without really understanding their situation, you're quick to jump to negative conclusions about others or get offended at the things they do. If that's you, give yourself a point. Number four, I am often preoccupied with how other people see me. For you, image means a lot. You, you, you seem very concerned with your reputation and what other, think, other people think about you. Maybe you're even more concerned about how people see you than what you really are. If that's you, if you sometimes struggle with that, give yourself a point. Clue number five, when I make a mistake, I'm slow to apologize. Is that you? Don't nudge your neighbor. Don't just, is that you? Is that you? Are you? Or maybe you don't apologize at all. It's not that you're slow to apologize. You don't apologize at all. When you're wrong, you just keep quiet. And you don't, you know, you'd rather, you know, be quiet or blame someone else rather than take responsibility. Is that you? Give yourself a point. Number six, when facing major problems or making important decisions, I tend not to ask for help or advice. Maybe when it comes to your career or your love life or your future, you think, I don't need anyone's help. I got Google. That's all I need. 
You know, I'll just figure it out myself. If that's you, give yourself a point. Number seven, there are certain things I need to do my own way regardless of what God or anyone else thinks. It's like I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what you guys say. I'm just going to do what I want to do. If that's you, give yourself a point. Number eight, I get defensive when people give me suggestions or criticism. Is that you? Do you take criticism in a really defensive way? You start to get angry, like, oh, how dare you criticize me? If that's you, give yourself a point. Number nine, I'm slow to notice others' needs and serve them. For example, you might be in a conversation with someone, and when you're, you're having that conversation, you're not really asking about them. You're just kind of just more talking about yourself all the time. And, and even when they're talking, you're just more thinking about yourself as well. You're kind of slow to meet and notice other people's needs and serve them. If that's you, give yourself a point. Number 10, I'm rarely honest with others about my struggles. Sometimes I exaggerate the truth to make myself look better. You might exaggerate, you know, about how much money you make or, you know, how many clients you've got or, or you know, how, how your grades are doing. And, and it's because you're afraid that if you reveal who you really are, that people might not accept you. And so as, as a result, you find it really tough to be honest with others about your struggles. If that's you, then give yourself a point. Number 11, I still hold grudges against people who hurt me badly is that I just, someone hurt me in the past and I've never been able to forgive them and I still can't forgive them. It's, if that's you, give yourself a point. Finally, clue number 12. I despise it when others show off. Is that you? You see other people kind of boasting about the stuff they've done. And the irony about pride is this, is that the more we have pride in ourselves, the more we dislike it in other people. And you, know, you, you say, oh, that person's so prideful. Oh, he's so arrogant. In a way, that's almost a reflection of how much pride is in us as well. Okay, those are 12 clues. How'd you guys do? You guys give yourselves a score, one out of 12 or zero out of 12. If you scored zero to four, then I would submit to you that you are probably the closest thing to Jesus that your family has ever seen. All right, all right. So congratulations to you. If you scored five to eight, that means that pride may be a real struggle, maybe even a major struggle in your life. If you scored nine out of 12, you may be the devil himself, right? I'm kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. The fact is this, is that the, 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 the whole goal of giving you guys these clues is to show that we all struggle with pride. Turn your name and say, we all struggle with pride. We all struggle with pride, me included. And see, you're going to find this as whether you scored a one or a two or a 12, the fact is problems come up when we have issues with pride. What are some of the problems that pride causes? Let me look at them really quick with you. Number one, pride ruins our relationships with people. Pride causes us to be so preoccupied with ourselves that we become insensitive to other people. We almost start to see people for what they can do for us rather than valuing them for who they are. Pride causes us to act in some self-centered and selfish ways. You know, you might be someone who's prideful, and as a result, you are very impatient with other people. Is that instead of trying to understand them, instead of trying to, you know, listen to them, you might find that you're just really quick to judge them and dismiss them. That's, how, that's, that's what happens when we have pride. Pride keeps us from being real with others about our struggles, and as a result, our relationships remain distant and superficial, even with the people who are supposed to be the closest to us. Pride causes us to be easily offended, slow to apologize, hard to get along with, slow to forgive. And as a result, there's a bunch of unnecessary hurt and unresolved conflict in our relationships. That's the first problem that comes because of pride. It ruins our relationships. Number two, write this down. Pride hurts our ability to lead others well. You know, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you lead a club or a team, then this one's really important for you. See, Forbes magazine did a survey, and they were talking about leadership, and they found that there's a link between how likable a leader is and how arrogant or humble that leader appears to be. They said, few things kill likability as quickly as arrogance. See, when you act pridefully, 
toward people, as if the world revolves around you. There's something that makes people go, there's something repulsive about it. But on the other hand, when you are someone who is humble, you admit your mistakes, you admit when you're wrong, you admit when you need other people's help, there's actually something attractive about that. If you believe that, say amen. And that whereas pride builds walls, humility tends to build bridges with you and others. Pride hurts our ability to lead others. Well, number three, a third problem that pride causes is pride blinds us to the truth about ourselves and other people. How many of us know that pride distorts the way that we see ourselves? It messes up our self-image. You know, it's important to have a sense of self-worth, to know that you matter to God, that you matter to people, but pride takes it to another level, to this really unhealthy, distorted level where we start to think so highly about ourselves that now we become blind to our weaknesses, blind to our faults, blind to our need to grow or improve in any way. That's why because of pride, fools can think of themselves as know-it-alls. Sinners can think of themselves as blameless. Helpless people can think, I I don't need anyone, I don't need God, I don't need anyone besides me. And if we're not careful, we can actually be the last to realize that our problem is with pride. Number four, pride can derail your destiny. Pride has this tendency to give us this feeling of self-sufficient invincibility where, oh, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and nothing's going to happen. I've got, this, I've, I've got this invincible kind of shield around me. There's no consequences because I'm just that way. You know, pride gives us a false sense of security as if we're untouchable, that there's nothing for us to learn anymore. We have already know everything we need to know, nothing else for us to know, yet you follow the news And you find examples every day of people who, because of pride, they fell from the heights that they once enjoyed. Whether it's, you know, politicians, or it's leaders, or it's reputations that were destroyed, or marriages that were shattered, or families that were devastated, dynasties that were defeated, all because pride got in the way. Look at Proverbs 18, 12 with me and read it in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Notice that? It says, before a man's downfall, his heart is proud. Pride is an issue of the heart, but it can result in our downfall if we're not careful. Number five, pride cuts us off from God. Pride cuts us off from God. Look at Proverbs 21 verse 4 with me. Read it with a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. You know, we don't use the word haughty that much anymore, at least not, not the way that it's spelt that way, right? But, you know, haughty is another word for prideful. It's, it's about being arrogantly disdainful toward other people. You look down on other people. So if someone comes up to you and goes, hey, haughty, you, you, you ought to be careful. Which haughty do you mean? Which haughty do you mean? Because the fact is that haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. See, pride is not just a personal weakness. It's not just an unhealthy tendency. Pride is a sin that cuts us off from God. Because of pride, we can't have much or anything to do with God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. What does it say? It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, because of pride, we are cut off from God. We can't have anything to do with them when we have pride that fills our heart. And so for these reasons, if we don't learn to undo pride, pride will become our undoing. Look at 1 Peter 5, verse 5, and we're going to look at all more of that whole verse right, right now. What does it say? It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, what is the opposite of pride? It is humility. 
What is humility? Humility is not looking down on yourself. It's not humiliating yourself. And go, I'm such a loser. I'm meaningless. I'm a failure. My life has no value. No, no, no. Humility is seeing yourself for who you really are. Nothing more, nothing less. And it's living your life for a purpose bigger than yourself. The way to fight pride is with something called humility. How do you, do un- how do you undo pride? And how do you clothe yourself with humility? As we're talking about in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. We're going to talk about that today. See, today I want to end by giving you guys a six-prong attack on pride. These are six ways that you can attack pride in your life. And if so, if you have an issue with pride today, I hope you'll take some really good notes because in 72 hours from now, you're going to forget everything we've talked about. And so I hope you take some good notes on your phone or write it down somewhere so you can remember these six habits that will help you to counterattack pride in your life. And this is something I'm speaking to myself as well. Six, what I call habits of humility. Number one is this, admit your pride to God and ask him to change your heart. Admit your pride to God and ask him to change your heart. I was tempted to leave this one to the very end because I wanted to kind of start with maybe some more palatable ones. But the fact is this, is that the core issue of pride is a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem at the end. It's not just an emotional issue. It's a spiritual issue. And the fact is you can't cure your pride on your own. You cannot solve the problem of pride in your life by yourself, but God can. In fact, that is why he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. When our pride and our other sins separate us from God, when we couldn't have anything to do with God, even though we tried, then we, when we had no way of reaching God, no matter how good we think we are, God didn't say, oh, forget you. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to divorce you. I quit on you. Instead, he said, because I love you and I can't bear to spend eternity without you, I'm going to send Jesus Christ to die the cross for your pride, for your sins, so that you can be forgiven, so that you can have a way back to God. And not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins, but he he rose again from the grave to show that he has power over our sins and over death itself. So when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven, you're a child of God, you've got eternal life, and you have a way to conquer pride. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Jesus died for your pride. Turn to me and say, Jesus died for my pride. Jesus died for my pride. And so if you struggle with pride, the most important thing you can do is go to God first and say, God, I have an issue with pride. You know my problem with pride. Change my heart. Cure me of my pride because I can't cure myself. And you know, there's a biblical word for this. When we turn to God from our sin, we you know what it's called? It's called repentance. Everyone say Repentance. And that's what the tax collector is doing in Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 18. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me. Read it in big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who who humbles himself will be exalted. When you study different religions, when you study what pop culture teaches about heaven and hell and God and all that stuff, you're going to find that the main message that is being communicated is that you can get to God yourself. That you can prove you're worthy to get into heaven. That if you would you know, give God your resume, he's going to look at it and go, well done. You can come in because you're such a good person. And see, that's why very often when I you know, get into conversations with people about, oh, are you going to go to heaven? Do you believe you're going to go to heaven? Very often, I'll have people who will give me a resume of all the good things that they've done. 
They'll kind of ignore or just kind of not mention all the stuff where they've messed up. And they'll just say, oh, I did this. I was so good to this person. You know, I, I, was, I was really kind to that person. You know, I gave my life for, for young people. And so therefore, I am worthy of getting to heaven. But Jesus says, there's nothing we can do to get to heaven on our own. That the fact is that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you believe that, say amen. And so there's nothing you can do to get to heaven on your own. But, the pra- but praise God, you don't have to. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have a way to him. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. See, God can change your heart if only you will humble yourself. Look at First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Read it with me in big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Tell your neighbor, give him a high five and say, humble yourself. Humble yourself. It's about saying, God, I need you. In fact, I believe the four most important words you could ever say in life is, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. It's the four most important words in life. That's the first step to starting to fight pride. It's to recognize, God, I've got an issue with pride. Help me and change my heart. And that's called repentance. But how many of us know that developing a humble heart and fighting pride is not just an overnight process. It's not like you, you pray a prayer once and all of a sudden you're a humble person. No more pride at all that you struggle with. No, pride is like an onion. Have you ever peeled an onion before? Ever cut onions before? You know that onions have layer after layer after layer. I find that, you know, you know as you're peeling the onion, you know, you're moving one layer after another, and you're starting to cry, you're starting to tear. <laughs> I find that pride is the same way. Pride is like this onion where you peel one layer and you see another layer of that pride. You peel one layer, you see another layer of that pride. And as, you, as you're peeling each layer, you're crying more and more. You're like, why? I'm such a prideful person. That's how pride is. It's like an onion. And admitting your pride to God is the first step. But it's also about developing other habits that will help you fight pride in your life. What are those other habits? Number two is be quick to apologize and slow to criticize. Be quick to apologize and slow to criticize. Can I make a confession to you guys this morning? Is that okay? All right? This is pastor confession time. Is that all right? Okay, um, two weeks ago, and I didn't tell you this last week because we're talking about envy and, uh, you know, it didn't really fit, but I, I want to talk to you guys about something that, that I did last week, or sorry, two weeks ago. Um, it was raining, and uh, I was driving. Uh, my son Bradley was in the back. I was picking up from school, and uh, I wanted to park in my normal parking spot in front of our house, but uh, uh, the space was really tight. I had my neighbor's car on one end. I had my in-law's car on the other end. And so I'm going to parallel park. It's raining, and I'm tired, and I start to parallel park, but it's a super tight spot. And there's that part of me that's like, oh, why is it such a tight, tight spot? Why didn't you guys park in there? And, 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 and I, 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 I parallel park in, but I can't get myself in, so I'm maneuvering, and I'm maneuvering, and finally I'm like, this is too hard. I'm just going to go park somewhere else. And finally, as I'm maneuvering out, I hear a on my in-law's car. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I, I got into the car. I looked at the back bumper of the car, and there was like this tiny scratch. And it was kind of like paint came off. It wasn't huge, but it was, it was, it was there. It was noticeable. And I thought, oh, man, goodness. Uh, what am I going to do? Should I just not say anything? And, and I, but I didn't want to be guilty of a hit and run on my own parents-in-law. And so I thought, okay, I, I got I to say something. And so in front of my wife, in front of my son, in front of my parents-in-law, I apologized and said, you know, Dad, Mom, I'm so sorry. I need to tell you something. And I said, I, 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 I tried parking, and I was a bad parker, all right? And, uh, and, 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 and your car is scratched. And you know, you know what my parents' response was? My, my in-laws, their response was? They said, oh, don't worry about it. It's totally fine. Praise God for forgiving in-laws, amen? 
Amen. 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 Yeah, give them a hand. Yeah, praise God. Yeah, that's good. Yes, praise God. Praise God. The fact is this. We want to be quick to apologize and slow to criticize. Proverbs 18, 13 says it this way. Read with a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Let me ask you this question. How quick are you to admit when you're wrong? How quick are you to admit when you're wrong? Well, JB, I'm Canadian. Of course, I say sorry all the time. But the fact is this, is one thing I've learned about saying sorry is when you use the words, I am sorry, you got to make sure you know why you're sorry. Amen? Is don't just think, I'm sorry, especially this is guys, especially for, you know, future planning. When you want to use the words, I'm sorry, make sure you know why you're apologizing. All right? Don't just say, I'm sorry, as if it's a magic spell on your wife or your girlfriend or your friend. Oh, yeah, no problem. No, you want to know why you're sorry. Otherwise, you'll come across as being insincere. Here's another tip is when you say, I'm sorry, don't make it a qualified apology. What's a qualified apology? A qualified apology is, I'm sorry, but it's your fault. Or, you know, I was wrong, but you're even more wrong. Right? It's, it's, it's one of those things where maybe someone says, you know, say, say you, you say some hurtful words to someone by accident. And you say, oh, I, I'm sorry. I guess I'm just too honest for my own good. Right? What, what is that? That's you saying that the reason why you spoke those unnecessary hurtful words is because you're such a good person. You're so honest. Is that why? No, it's because you weren't loving enough. It's because you weren't tactful enough. It's because you weren't wise in your relationships. It's about saying sorry and meaning it and not qualifying with anything else. If you believe it, say amen. See, that's a big part of humility is being quick to admit when we're wrong. The other part is being quick to forgive when we're wrong, being slow to criticize. Is clothing yourself with humility means I recognize I am not God. And so I'm not going to throw a fit when people don't treat me like God or when my expectations are not always met all the time. I am not going to insist on my way every single time because I'm not God. Turn to your and say, I know you're not God. I know you're not God and neither am I. And the fact is, is that I'm not God and also I know the other person is not God. And so I'm not going to expect that person to act perfect or be like God in every way, we're all going to make mistakes. And that's why I often tell married couples on their married, on, on their wedding day, when they're just about to get married, I'll say, be quick to admit when you're wrong, be quick to forgive when you're wronged, and be quick to move on when it's got nothing to do with right or wrong. Just move on. Don't, if it's not going to matter 48 hours from now, then just move on. Turn your and say, I need to move on. So let's move on. Habit number three, be eager to learn from others. Humility is about being open to other people's suggestions, open to other people's advice, even open to their correction, and even going out of your way to seek advice when you need it. Look at Proverbs 19, verse 20. What does it say? It says, get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise the rest of your life. I've shared this with some of you guys before, but not all of you. When I was in grade eight, there was this girl that I really, really liked. Her name was Emily. And every night I would open my school yearbook, I'd look at her picture, I'd go, ah, Emily. And, you know, I just, oh, she's the one for me. This is like grade eight. I was just so sure about my life at that point. And I asked my parents, uh, I remember I was in the back of the car, uh, and they were driving. And I'm in the back of the car, and I really want to date Emily. So I'm like, Dad, Mom, can I start dating? This is 13 years old. Like, you want to date now? Yeah, yeah, I want to date now. And they're like, why can't you wait till university? And I'm like, no, no, I want to date now. Are are you sure you're mature enough to date now? Yeah, I'm mature enough. I'm mature enough. Why do we think I'm mature enough? Fact is, I wasn't mature enough. But my parents, because I would not take no for an answer, so, you know, my dad just was like, you want to date? You date! Right? 
you died. Right. He doesn't even talk that way, but I just like saying it that way. But the fact is this: is that is that I I was I was so set on my own way. I wasn't open to anyone else's advice. And when it came to that first relationship where I asked Emily out, she said no. And I'm never. I've, my, my heart was was that was the first broken heart I ever had. She said no. And then I just, but I didn't, I didn't listen. I just kept on going with what I thought was good. I didn't ask anyone for advice. And, and what ended up happening was over the next, wow, seven, eight years, I would just kind of do what I felt like doing, go with what my friends would say and, you know, do what Hollywood would do. And I would leave a trail behind me of hearts that I'd broken and, you know, hearts that I had that were broken as well. And, you know, when, when I never asked for anyone, anyone's advice. I would just simply tell my dad, okay, I'm dating this person now. But, but I didn't ask him for advice. And, and as a result, I end up making mistake after mistake after mistake when it came to relationships. And I believe we need to learn from our mistakes. I think when it comes to love life, sometimes that's the only way to learn sometimes. But as I grew my relationship with God, I began to realize that actually the advice of my parents and even the advice of my spiritual leaders, my pastors, that they actually really matter. And so it was one of those things where I started to consult them. After, after finally about eight years of just heartbreak after heartbreak, I finally started to ask them for advice. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, my parents are actually a lot smarter than I thought. They actually understand me a bit more than I assumed. My pastors, wow, they actually have a little bit of wisdom to give me on this issue. And as a result, I, you know, I, I benefited from hang, hanging out with them and spending time with them and getting their advice. Question for you today, are you someone who asks for advice? Or do you just insist on doing things your way all the time? The last time you made a big decision that affected you or affected those closest to you, did you consult anyone for advice? Did you pray about it? Did you ask someone? Did you, did you ask you know, uh, someone who's got experience in this area to say, what, say, what do you think of this? What, should, what do you think I should do? The wise ask for advice. The prideful tend to neglect it. Look at Proverbs 15, 31 to 32. 1, 2, 3, it says, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Verse 32 says, he who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever needs correction gains understanding. If I didn't take my parents' advice, my pastor's advice, I don't think I would have ended up with an amazing girl like Charlene in my life. But the fact is this, humility is being willing to ask for advice, to learn from my mistakes, and to change. That's what humility is. I've given you different definitions for humility. That is another definition for humility. It's being willing to ask for help. Willing to say, hey, what, what do you think of this? And it's being, being willing to learn from our mistakes and change. Because the fact is we all have blind spots. All, every single one of us. We have areas of our lives where we don't see it all. We don't see all of our flaws. We don't see all of our limitations. And sometimes it helps for someone from their vantage point who understands us to say, hey, I think you're missing on this one. I think you need to watch out for this. And when we do that, that's how we we grow. It's about being eager to learn from others. We turn your begin Mahav and say, I want to learn from you. I want to learn from you. Number four. Is this helpful in this place so far? Number four. If you want to practice humility and fight pride in your life, practice giving preference to others. Practice giving preference to others. You know, one of the amazing things, God's done so many amazing things here in this church from 12 years ago when we first started to, to where we are today. Like even last week, an amazing thing, just seeing so many hands receiving Jesus. We, got, we gave so many new believer gifts to people, and we encourage you guys, love you guys, encourage you to come to, you know, Thrive Disciples School Level 1, which is getting to know Thrive Church. We'd love to see you there. But this is the thing. One of the, one, another amazing thing that I found that God has done in our church is this. In the church of about 300 people, Somehow, we have been managing to get by with one toilet. Many, many miracles, but that, that to me is a bit of a miracle. 300 people, one toilet. Welcome to Thrive Church, where we worship one God, we are one family, and we use one toilet. 
It's true. It's true. To me, to me, that's miraculous. Jesus' disciples, they got to experience the miracle of the five loaves and the two first. Here at Thrive Church, we have the miracle of the one toilet. It's true. And, and, and to me, I just don't, to me, I, I, would, I would challenge you to find a more loved toilet in our city than what we have today. And the fact is this, is like, imagine, hypothetically speaking, hypothetically speaking, imagine that you are lining up for the toilet today, uh, later on in the service, and, and all of a sudden, there's an announcement over the PA system going, ladies and gentlemen, we're very pleased to announce, there is another second toilet that has opened up, all right? And uh, what would you do? What would you do in that case? Like, would you, give, give you a few options. Option number one, you run as fast as you can to the other washroom, even if it means stepping over women and children, and you just go, get out of the way, I gotta go. Is that, is that, is that what you do? Or number two, you, you maybe, I don't know, you take your Bible, you, you put it under your shirt and go, pregnant woman coming through, you know, like you know, a rectangular baby coming through. Or, 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 or number three is you, you do a diversion, you go, hey, I think it's over there, when you know it's over there, and you go and run this way while everyone's running that way. Is that what you do? Or you say, hey, why don't you go first, and uh, I'll just use the sink instead. What, 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 like, which one would you use? Which one would you do? See, here's what the Bible tells us to do. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Would you read it with a big, loud voice? One, two, three, it says, Be kindly affectionate to one another, with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Turn to me and say, give preference. Give preference. What does that mean? It means you go first. I'll wait. You go first. And praise God, one day we're going to have more than one washroom. It's going to come very, very soon. But not today. I'll tell you when it's going to happen. Praise God. In the meantime, give preference to one another. The fact is this. Leonard Bernstein, he's one of America's greatest orchestra conductors. Once he was asked, what is the most difficult instrument in the orchestra to, pr- to play? What's the most difficult instrument of all the instruments in your symphony orchestra? What's the most difficult one to play? And you know what he said? He said the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra is second fiddle. Second fiddle. What is second fiddle? Second fiddle, you're, you're a violin, and you are living in the shadow of the first fiddle. The first fiddle gets the nice seat. The first fiddle gets the good parts. The first fiddle gets all the attention, and you're second fiddle. And you are trying to accompany and support the first fiddle. The first fiddle. You're expected to be the best teammate, even though you might get less glory and attention. The hardest instrument to play in the orchestra is second fiddle. And here, how do you know that in our lives, there will be times in our lives when God will train us in humility by making us play second fiddle. Amen. Look at Romans 12.10 in the message paraphrase. What does it say? It says, be good friends who love deeply, playing second fiddle. Practice playing second fiddle. It's about saying, you know what? You go first. I don't always have to get all the credit. I don't have to always get all the attention. I don't have to get all the opportunities. You go first. That is humility. Humility is thinking team first. Here's a question for today. Are you someone who struggles with playing second fiddle? Maybe there's someone in your life where right now you know that it's time to give them the support, give them the attention, give them extra care. And there's that part of you that really struggles with that. And you know what? That might be a pride struggle today. You might be kind of like, oh, why do I have to do that? But that could be God teaching us humility. What is one area of your life where right now God wants you to think team first instead of me first? Maybe it's at work and you're struggling to think team first because you just can't think, you keep thinking, what about me? What about my, my stuff? What I want to do? And you're, and you're struggling to think team first. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe you're tempted to do something that's very, very selfish. But then God is saying, no, I want you to th- think team first. Don't hurt your family, but think team first. Maybe it's... You know, even in church, is that you welcome people who are brand new. Here at church, we are a welcoming church. Amen? 
We're not, welcome is not just what we do, it is who we are. It's part of the DNA of Thrive. We are bridge builders, we are welcoming. We're not just a Chinese church that happens to speak English and happens to have different nationalities meeting with us, but we are a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multinational, multiracial church that has a bunch of Chinese people because Vancouver has a bunch of Chinese people. Amen. That's who we are. And so are you thinking team first? Are you welcoming to people who are different from you? That's about thinking team first. I, will, I love one quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this about humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not you going, oh, I'm such a loser. Oh, I'm, I, I, you know, my, my life is meaningless. And you're just beating yourself up. That's not humility. Humility is you are secure in who you are because you know God loves you and you matter to God. But at the same time, because you matter to God, you can give other people preference. You can say, you go first, because you know your, your worth was already settled at the cross where Jesus died for you. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. What does it say? It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The greatest example of humility you will ever find is Jesus Christ, who he was in very nature God, but he became flesh, died on the cross for our sins, humbled himself even unto death. And because he did so, the Bible says that God the Father raised him to a highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is the greatest example of humility. And when you read scripture, you're gonna find this, is that when you learn to practice giving other people preference, when you learn to be truly humble, the way the Bible talks about humility, it's one of the traits that God loves to bless the most. If you want to be blessed in life, one of the best traits you can possibly practice and train yourself in is in the area of humility. The Bible says that God lifts the humble. God saves the humble. God guides the humble. God teaches the humble. God sustains the humble. Jesus said, many who are last will be first, and the first will be last. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Number five, habit number five, let God's word clarify your self-image. What do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. Uh, there have been a number of times this past school year, and I know it's just, just begun, it's only, it's only October, but there have been a number of times in this past school year since September when I'm sending my son Bradley, he's about seven, eight years, seven years old, uh, I send him to school early in the morning. And there will be times, uh, this is another confession from your pastor, uh, when I will actually forget to look at myself in the mirror. And I'll just uh, walk out the door without looking at myself in the mirror. And uh, sometimes I've come home and I'll see that I probably should have looked at myself in the mirror. Uh, let, let me give you uh, 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 one photo uh, that, uh, that this, is, this, is, this, this, is, this is me. This is me, right? All right. All right. So, so you can see, this, 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 this is early in the morning, all right? Uh, this is, you know, unshaven, hair is totally better. Look, 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 look at the next one. I like the next one. Look, 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 look. Okay, that, there you go. All right, right. And, and see, here's, here's the thing, is that you know, God loves you regardless of how you look, amen? Okay, all right? If you come in looking like this, then God bless you, we love you, no matter what, right? But, but this, to me, looks like uh, less like Pastor JB and more like uh, someone who needs uh, marijuana or something. I don't, I'm not sure. It, it's, just, it's, just, it's just one of those things where, like, I, I, to me, I'm like, okay, this is, not, this is not who I'd like to present myself as, but I'm showing to is my confession. This is what I look like in the morning, okay? All right? All right. Do you still love your pastor? Amen? Unconditional love? Praise God. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much. The fact is, is why am I showing this to you? Is that as, after, after I realized, you know, I should probably look at myself in the mirror so I don't scare other parents and kids at school. And so nowadays, before I go out, I'll, I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll look at myself in the mirror. You know, I'll, I'll do my hair a little bit. I'll, I'll hold Bradley or I'll hold Caleb in my arms. He's only 15 months old. I'll hold Caleb in my arms. It's really cute. He'll, 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 we'll, we do this every day. I'll put a toothbrush in, because he likes to do what I do. So I'll put a toothbrush in Caleb's hand. I'll keep to, to, to take a toothbrush, and I'll be brushing my teeth. He'll be brushing his hair with a toothbrush. And, you know, what is it? I, is I'm just looking at myself in the mirror uh, just, to, just to make sure that, you know, I don't look unnecessarily foolish. I'll wash my face. I'll shave. I'll do all that stuff. Why do I mention that? It's because, uh, can, can we take that off then? We'll move on, move on to the one. Okay, okay. There we go. Yeah. Is, uh, why do I mention that? It's because pride has to do with your self-image. Pride distorts the way we see ourselves and think about ourselves such that we forget how we really look. That's why very often we are the last people to know when pride is an issue in our lives. It's almost like leprosy on the forehead is that no, everyone else sees it, but we don't see it. And see, wouldn't it be great if we had a mirror that we could look at and see that, okay, I shouldn't be so prideful? Wouldn't it be great if we had a mirror to help us clarify our self-image? Guess what? You have a mirror. It's it's called the Word of God. Amen. The Bible describes itself as a mirror that you can look at and see who you really are in God. Look at James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. If you don't believe me, read it with a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. See, what is it doing? He's talking about the word is like a mirror. Your word, God's word, is like a mirror mirror that we look at and we see ourselves for who we really are is that on one hand yes we are sinners who are broken who have pride who need help who have a savior in Jesus but we're also incredibly loved and we matter to God we're precious to him we're also called we're chosen we're appointed we're treasured by him we have a destiny he has a future for us he knows the plans he has for us and he loves us with an unconditional love that's who we are amen But pride has this way of distorting our self-image, of making us forget all of that. And maybe that pride will help us, will make us forget that we're sinners who need a savior. Pride will help make us forget that we are loved already unconditionally by an amazing God. And so as a result, we end up looking really foolish in front of people, all because we didn't look at ourselves in the mirror first. Amen. Amen. And you're going to find this. The more you look at God's word, which is a mirror for your heart, the more I look at it, the more I see, I see who I am, the more it helps me to clothe myself with humility. Question for you today, how often do you look at yourself in the mirror called the Word of God? How often do you come to church, make that a habit, be regular about it, not just, oh, I'll come on a Thanksgiving or I'll come on an, on an Easter service, but you say, you know what, I'm going to make Sunday mornings my priority where I can sit under the teaching of God's word and I can look at this mirror that shows me who I am and shows me how much more like Jesus I can be. And, you know, or, or how much do you spend time in your game time, your daily time with God, where you spend time, spending time looking a bit in the mirror so that you can see who God is and who you are as well. If you you believe that say amen turn neighbor give him a high five and say you could look at yourself in the mirror more you could look at yourself in the mirror more praise god
Praise God. That's why coming to church is so important. That's why your game time is so important. That's why having a life of prayer is so important because you're letting the word of God clarify your self-image. It is the perfect law that gives freedom. Finally, last point, the sixth habit of humility that I'm going to encourage you to develop in your life. Surrender your plans to God. Surrender your plans to God. See, this is what we usually do. What we usually do is we make our plans without consulting God. Then we pray and we ask God to bless our plans. God, this is my plan. Please bless it. And we didn't ask him in the first place if, we, if he wanted it. We just kind of say, I assume that this is what's going to happen. I assume that this is what I need to do. God, would you bless my plan, please? And then our plans don't happen the way we want it to. We start to blame God. God, it's your fault. God, how could you? God, what, what's wrong with you? That's called pride. That's called pride. See, humility is about surrendering your plans to God. It's recognizing that I am not God, that the world doesn't revolve around me and my agenda. It's recognizing I need God, and I need to know his will for my life rather than just imposing my will on him. Amen. Humility is about trusting God with what is out of my control. I shared this with some of you guys before, but let me share it again. I share about once a year. Uh, Back when Pastor Charlie and I, when we were dating many, many years ago, uh, we do long distance a lot. And uh, I was sharing this at uh, our Thrive Disciple School Level 2 this past week, is that we had this journal that we would write in, because I guess we're too cheap to mail stuff out, or I, I don't know, but like, the fact is that we had this journal, and in addition to email, uh, we'd do this journal. There wasn't, there wasn't Skype back then, there wasn't you know, you know, Facebook Messenger, there wasn't you know, FaceTime, or, or anything like that. So we had email, we had calling cards, where you had to press like you know, 50 numbers before you get the, get, get the other person, but we also had a journal. And in this journal, we'd write to one another, and what we do is we'd mail the journal off to the other person. And so, you know, I, I'd be in Vancouver, I'd mail it to Boston, where Charlene was, or Charlene would be in Boston, she'd mail it to Toronto, where I was, or I'd mail it to, from Toronto to Taiwan, where she was, and we had different versions of long distance. And, 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 you know, if you look at the journal, we still actually write in that journal to this day. We still have that journal, and I, I've actually read from it to some of you guys before. But at the back of that journal, on the inside flap of that journal, there's this green post-it note. It's really small. But it's a green post-it note, and on the top of that post-it note, there are these two big words in big capital letters. It's called the plan. Everyone say the plan. The plan. And uh, this is what the plan looked like. See, this was our 10-year plan for our lives. And uh, this is like back in 2001, and so we're planning for the next 10 years of our lives. And this is what we wrote. In 2002 to 2004, Charlene will work in New York while JB does his master's degree in law. That was the plan. Everyone say the plan. And then from 2004 to 2005, Charlene is back in Vancouver planning our wedding, and we get married in July 2005. That was the plan. Everyone say the plan. 2005, 2007, JB and Charlene live in Vancouver, enjoying life, sipping bubble tea, enjoying, you know, just being on our own. That was the plan. Everyone say the plan. July 2007, what does it say? JB and Charlene plant a church. Okay. All right. That was part of the plan. 2009, what does it say? JB and Charlene start a family and call their, not their song, but their son, their first son, David. All right. That was the plan. Well, what actually happened was not quite what we had planned. And what actually happened is this. In 2002, 2004, the plan was we were supposed to be doing this. Charlene was supposed to be in New York, working. I was supposed to be doing my master's in law. In 2002, 2004, Charlene quits her job in New York in 2002. And I, end up apply- I never end up applying for my master's degree in law. All right, that's, that's just what ended up happening. That's what, happened, that's what actually happened. 2004, 2005, Charlene's supposed to be back in Vancouver planning our wedding. We get married in 2005. Uh, Charlene and JB, what actually happened? We got married in 2003. All right, 
completely different. 2005, 2007, we're supposed to be living in Vancouver. What ended up happening is, hello? JB and Charlene moved to Taiwan and they lived there for four years. Completely different. July 2007, JB and Charlene plant a church. What actually happened is that Torch Church in Taiwan commissioned JB and Charlene to plant a church in August 2007. That was kind of the same. That was kind of the same. Interesting, eh? 2009, JB and Charlene start a family and call their son David. Uh, what ended up happening is we never had a son called David. Uh, uh, and in 2012, JB and Charlene start a family and call their son Bradley. All right, well, that's the plan. And that's what actually happened. Why do I share that with you? Why do I share all of this with you? It's to show you that you can't figure everything out beforehand. You might have all these plans of where you want to go, where you want your kids to go to school, where you want to be well, 10 years from now. And I believe in planning. We're a planning church. We, we are, our staff, we love to plan. We believe that there, there's, there's good things that come with planning. But the, 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 the danger is when we allowed our pride to think it's all about our plans. And it's about God blessing our plans, and there's nothing else that God can do. And if God does anything but our plan, then something is wrong. The fact is this. God has a greater plan than you could ever ask for or imagine. And, you know, the fact is that over the past 10 years during that time, God allowed a bunch of things to happen that we had no control over, which would be part of bringing us to where God wanted us to go. There were people that we met that changed our lives. There were tragedies that happened that devastated us. There were opportunities that came that we never expected. And without a doubt, I can say looking back at those 10 years, did God have a better plan? He totally had a better plan. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says it this way. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Maybe you're today worried about your future. You're stressed about what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen six months from now or what's going to happen next year. And you're trying your best to figure things out and you're just getting so frustrated because you, you know you can't control it all, but you want to control it all. Can I tell you this? You don't need to figure it all out right now. You don't need to. Just do the best with what you know. Do the best with what you have. Do the best with what is in your hand right now and take the best, wisest step of faith forward that you can and you can be sure that God is going to lead you and that the best is yet to come. Amen. Amen. Would you give God a big hand here in this place right now? Instead of worrying about everything that's out of your control, you focus on what's in your control. You do the best you can with it and the rest of it that's out of your control, it's in the hands of God who loves you and cares about you even more than you know. Look at Romans 8.28. What does it say? It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Question for you today as we close. What is one area in your life today where you need to trust Jesus to work all things out instead of trusting in your own plan, trusting in your own way, as if it all has to do with your plan? See, instead of worrying, surrender your plans to God. Realize that life is not all about you. It's about him. Every good thing that we have in life, we are not the source of it. We're just the steward of it. God gave it to us, not because we deserved it, but simply because he's entrusting us with something that we're going to use, not for our glory, but for his glory. And that's what humility is. Humility is living for God's glory and not my own glory. It's saying, God, I realize that everything that you've given to me is actually not about me. My kids are actually not about me. My husband, my wife is actually not about me. My job, my career, my business is actually not about me. My looks, it's actually not about me. My talents and the time I have is actually not about me. It's about living for a purpose that's far greater than me. It's living for the glory of God. Amen. 
Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Last verse for today. Read it with me, big loud voice. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. If you would humble yourself before God and you develop these six habits of humility that we talked about today, you're going to find that your problem with pride is starting to become something that you say, I've got victory over that now. Pride might still be a struggle from time to time, but you'll find that you know how to fight it because you are doing what humble people do. You are putting other people first. You're trusting God with your plans. You're saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be quick to apologize, slow to criticize. I'm going to let God's word determine my self-image. I'm going to admit when I struggle. When you do these things, you're going to find you've got the upper hand on pride, and pride doesn't need to have a hold on you. If you believe that, come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Give God all of your praise in this place today. Could you all stand to your feet? I invite you to respond to God. The team's going to lead us in a song. After that, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Let's sing this song as a response to God, and let's get ready to respond in prayer. Let's do that together.